Hi, I'm Kevin Harrington, an original shark from the hit television show Shark Tank, and you're listening to the Underdog Podcast. I've been too high up to fall, question marks, what's up with y'all? All we know is over time, barking like some underdogs. Underdogs, underdogs, underdogs. All we know is over time, barking like some underdogs. Underdogs, 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 underdogs. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Underdog Podcast. Today, I have an incredible guest here with me. Zach, how are you, my friend? Pam, I'm excited to spend some time with you on this podcast because we got to spend a ton of time together. So I think we'll be able to dive even further into, uh, you know, my story, creative financing. I think we're going to have some fun here. Absolutely, Zach. Oh, my gosh. So excited to have you, man. Honored to have you as a friend and honored to have created so much content in this entire creative financing masterclass with you. I'm just like, man, I've learned so much from Zach. He is the OG and I can't wait for all of you guys to meet Zach. He is brilliant at what he does. He's wicked smart. You'll get that a little bit later, but it's just, it's so incredible to meet someone so down to earth who's doing some incredible things in the world. And like today we actually get to dive into your story. So I get to hear all about Zach. I'm pumped. Appreciate the kind words. I'm grinded and trying to figure out, you know, how to take the next step to, and uh, and get to the next level. As I'm sure many of your listeners, being part of the Underdog Podcast, I mean, I have my own underdog story in itself, and uh, and my story is just still developing. I mean, I'm 33 years old, so I got I got plenty of things, plenty of canvas to go ahead and paint over the next many years as well. As I'm I'm just getting started. I absolutely love that. The energy is beautiful, my friend. So. <laughs> I'm just excited. I guess we got to start here. Like what inspired you on your journey to where you are today, Zach? Yeah. Well, so I know you're a local Massachusetts person. So I actually grew up right outside of Worcester, Massachusetts. I grew up with a, a single mother. My dad wasn't around too often. I mean, I eventually, you know, I eventually spent more time with him towards the end of his life, but he wasn't really around too often. So I grew up with a single mother. Uh, when I was quite young and my parents broke up, we moved to uh, Shrewsbury, Massachusetts is what it's called. And so I grew up as a, a poor kid in a rich town. Uh, so I had a huge chip on my shoulder my entire life, and I don't think it has left. Uh, <laughs> and I don't know if it's going to leave. Whether that's healthy or not, um, it's definitely been a driving force for me as I have, especially at the beginning of my career and and getting involved in you know entrepreneurial activities, I mean, I've always kind of had that. Uh, I'm just trying to prove everyone wrong type mentality. Is hey, I was one of the kids that was always in trouble in school in high school. I think the only reason why I actually made it through high school was two reasons. One, I had this amazing special ed teacher, Miss McSweeney, and football. Those are the only two things that kept me uh, coming to school each day. And when I was trying to figure out what I was going to do next, I mean, the only reason why I went to college is because my my teachers told me I couldn't. Uh, so I figured out a way to get in there and. That kind of leads you to a path, though, where you're not really clear about what you want to do. You're just consistently trying to prove people wrong. So by the time I got out of college, I had zero idea what I wanted to do. So I did what everybody in their right mind would do is I became a bartender. Uh, so I started bartending in uh, Newport, Rhode Island. Did that for about four years. While I was bartending, you know, I was always ambitious. So I started picking up personal training. So I was working really late nights and then wake them really early in the morning and then I needed some more things to do. So then I started working in the uh, network marketing space, MLM companies, and I was doing some nutritional supplement stuff. And eventually I just got super burnt out. And what really brought me into real estate investing was uh, my father-in-law, who's you know a business partner and has been for you know almost nine years now. And 
Like he was uh, revamping his business. He got crushed in 2008 and he was doing this thing called creative financing or what they called it back then before all the cool kids started getting involved in this space was uh, terms, buying and selling on terms. I approached him and said, I don't know if I'm going to like real estate investing. Heck, I don't know if I'm going to be good at it, but I'm willing to try it. So I started at the beginning where everybody else does, uh, at least in, in my world, which is started by getting a list of people, also known as expired listings, and started just making phone calls and failing forward consistently. And now that's where my real estate journey started. And uh, you know, nine years later, uh, here I am, um, owner of multiple real estate companies right now, and and uh, been able to teach people how to do this this creative financing thing, uh, which has uh, been a lot of fun. I absolutely love that, Zach. Thank you so much for that. My goodness, I love so many different elements of your story, where you know you talk about growing up with like a chip on your shoulder. That was kind of the same thing for me growing up. You know, coming to the U.S. And like literally getting thrown into first grade when English is my third language. So I literally like couldn't understand the damn thing. That was like, I didn't know the alphabet. Like I didn't know anything. And like, I always kind of growing up was almost felt like the outcast Mm. um, kind of growing up. And it was a similar situation with me in, in my city. I was the one who always stuck out compared to everybody else. And so like, you always have this uh, determination to prove yourself at a higher level than mm-hmm. ever before when it comes to that. But I'm curious, as a kid, like, what did you want to be when you grew up, though? Like, what was your dream? Yeah, what was interesting was, um, so I didn't have any entrepreneurs in my family. I mean, my dad would always have side hustles, right? He was he was never employed, but he always had something to do. <laughs> so I, I don't know if that kind of where it came from. But so when I was actually in, um, when I was really young, I lived on a golf course in the town called Rochdale, Massachusetts. So it's this this golf course, it's this old mill town. And um, and the, at the top of the street called Watch Street, there was, I think it was like the seventh green. So what I, or the seventh uh, tee. So what I would do is I used to go around and collect golf balls on the tall grass and sell golf balls for four for a dollar. And now that I realize that I golf, I'm like, I was giving some people some major discounts there because you can't get, you can't get anything for less than 10, 15, 20 bucks for golf ball. So, and I was, uh, I was getting in the tall grass doing that for him. And I think that's where my journey kind of began. But as far as like what I wanted to grow, be when I grew up, I always thought I was going to be a sports agent. Uh, I was obsessed with, uh, with sports had been since I was a kid. I used to fall asleep to the top 100 touchdowns on this old cassette tape, you know, the old VHS tapes. I used to have one of those screens or the, the TVs at the built-in VHS tape. I mean, I'm starting to sound old. Uh, so I used to go into that all the time. And then I played football, baseball, basketball, you name it to this day. I'm still love sports. And, uh, so I always thought it was gonna be a sports agent. I actually went to go to apply for on the schools in, uh, in New York, but just things didn't work out. And I ended up finding myself, you know, maybe not working with agents, but in the sports world, but you know, I found myself buying and selling something. So that's where I ended up now. I absolutely love that. I love that, Zach. And throughout your journey, kind of walking through like high school into college, you said you didn't really participate in in that, which is fine because it's like college is not for everybody. I say that to everyone. I'm like, listen, like the ROI, like if you don't know what you're doing, you might as well not go because it's just going to be a whole waste of of life. I have friends that that are, you know, quarter million in debt. Oh yeah, me it's too. Crazy. That's why I went to the the... So I went to the, uh, the the closest state school in Massachusetts I could get to where my you know, wife at the time, or my wife now, uh, she was my girlfriend at the time, 
uh, lives, who we grew up in Central Mass, but she her parents moved down to Newport, Rhode Island, and then she went to the University of Rhode Island. And I went, so I went to the University of Massachusetts Dartmouth because it was the closest school to, to Newport, Rhode Island. Uh, and I honestly just went because I needed to get out of the heck out of Worcester at the time and, and out of where I currently were, was at. I went through my my own battles and, you know, I had my battles with addiction and, and things of that sort. And the people around me were not going to the place I wanted to go. So really my cause was the escape out. Uh, so I didn't really care what I was going to do and where I was going. Uh, but ended up down in uh, UMass Dartmouth, got a degree in marketing and a minor in finance. And I think maybe I use it now, but but I certainly, if I knew that real estate was as powerful as I do know now, I, I probably just wouldn't have went to college and just started investing in real estate. Heck, I would have been you know 10 years ahead of where I currently am now. I, I know. I always say I'm pissed off at my 2009 self who was graduating high school that I didn't buy real estate at that time. So I'm still bullshit that I didn't make <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but I didn't exactly. buy any real estate in 2000. You know, we always wish we could have started sooner, but you know, I, I love and appreciate that you, that you mentioned that and that, you know, life obstacles that actually happen, because this is something that a lot of people don't talk about, right? Like, you know, we would look at you now, Zach, and we're like, holy shit, he's got it all together. He's got this, he's got that. But then knowing that you've been through your struggles, right. And, and this is what people don't understand is the toughest people that you've ever met in your life, the most successful have been through the most stuff than anybody else, right? Like I always say, I'm like, my failures far exceed my successes. And I openly say that all the time. I was always afraid to be vulnerable and, you know, because I was the kid just like you with the chip on the shoulder. So you don't want to be like, I'm not weak. What do you mean? You know, but this showcases that like, Hey, we're real people too. And we've have struggled and we have made it through certain things. And this is how, and I know that there's a lot of people right now that are listening that either are struggling with addiction themselves, or they have a loved one or Mm -hmm. a friend, or they know of someone. Right. So through your experience, Zach, what would be some pieces of advice to help navigate those waters? Yeah. That's a great question. And I'm glad that, uh, I'm glad you said that you got it all together. I mean, I don't get it all together. Shit. I get, you know, little kids and multiple businesses and, you know, trying to figure out my way through life, just like everyone else. I might not have the same problems as I used to have, but I certainly still have problems. And, uh, so when it comes to, yeah, I grew up in an era and I know it sounds like you graduated a year older than me. So I'm just saying, <laughs> <laughs> No, I lied. I'm actually, I'm a year older than you. I graduated 2008. I grew up in a time where it, it was normal to be hooked on things and to be experimental. And uh, especially in, in the realm in which I got connected with was primarily pain pills and things like that. Uh, I had many football injuries. And back then, I mean, the doctors didn't care. They just sent, they just sent you home with stuff. Right. So a lot of people got messed up in that world. Uh, some of my best friends have passed away. At one point in time, I used to hate it hearing from one of my best friends at home because he would call me and be like, hey, did you hear about so-and-so? And I'd be like, just stop calling me, please. Because it was it was, it was was a tough time. Yeah. Uh, but it certainly has made me into who I am today, and I, I wouldn't change a, a single thing. I always get that question on these podcasts. If you could go back in time, what would you tell yourself? Or would you change anything? I just always say no, because I wouldn't be me who I am today. Right. If people are struggling with that right now, I mean, the main things that were super helpful for me and I think I caught it a lot earlier. I didn't, I didn't fall as deep into what others did, but and when I'll share with you guys the book, I actually wrote about this in our 
first Amazon bestselling book when it was revised. And we'll make sure everyone gets a copy of it. But the number one things that I did was I just changed my inner circle. And that could be related to, you know, having having battles with drug addiction, or that could be you having battles with, uh, you know, your, your confidence or, you know, trying to get out of the current uh, situation you're in. I know this is completely overplayed, but they usually say that you're the sum of the five people you hang out with. Yeah. Uh, and it's extremely true. I mean, you, you look around, most of your friends probably all have relative to the same jobs or the same amount of income and think about the same things and do the same things. They determine, you know, kind of how you act. So the biggest thing I did was I, I changed where I was hanging out. I cut off basically everyone that I knew was not helpful for me at that time. That doesn't mean forever. I mean, because everyone evolves. I mean, I was young. I was in my yeah. you know, late teens, early 20s when that when that happened. So I was young and so weren't everyone around me. But I just knew that if I wanted to be someplace different or if I wanted to be somebody different, that I had to change my current environment. So, you know, that was part of, you know, why I went off to college and things like that as well as I need to get away from my current environment. Uh, so that'd be the number one thing I would, I would say. And then uh, kind of how I handled things was, when you're going through challenges like that, you deal with a lot of self-confidence issues because really what's happening is you're telling your, your inner uh, dialogue is different from your outer dialogue. Like you're, you're trying yeah. to pretend to be somebody else while you're thinking about something different. So what I, what really happened was I ended up getting panic attacks and because I just was, I was completely different internally than I was externally. The biggest things I started doing was I just started evaluating two different things. One was I needed to get my confidence back. So I always relied on working out. I just, I played sports and made sense to me. So I just, I began the process of, I would say detoxing, but really it was just, I started working out again and, and slowly but surely. And while I was doing that, instead of listening to music, uh, cause I didn't know much about personal development back then. I just started listening to YouTube videos of like Bob Proctor and, uh, Tony Robbins and Les Brown. And that would be my music uh, because I needed somebody else to tell me that I was you know, more worthy and I needed to increase my self-confidence. So I worked on my body first and then I worked on my mind once I started discovering that. And as those two steps kind of came together, that's when things started to evolve and really change because my internal world started projecting to my new external world. And then from there, you know, I just continued to build upon it, focus consistently every single year on development and and being more and more clear about what I want. And uh, each and every year, I continue to shed the things that are no longer fit for where I'm trying to go and add the things that I know, you know I need to add in order to get to where I want to be. I love that, Zach. I love that, Zach. Thank you so much for those tips, man. I mean, like, you are so right. You are the sum of uh, the five people that you hang out with. And really protecting your energy is definitely incredibly key in changing your environment. And they actually, are you into Dr. Bruce Lipton, who talks about epigenetics? I am not. I'm writing that down. Bruce Lipton. Got it. Oh, man, you're going to love him. What he says, because what you're saying is resonating completely with with what he what his research is years and decades of research proves that when we put ourselves in a different environment, our actual DNA can shift hmm. and change, interesting. which is really interesting. So it's like if you're placed in an environment like, for example, if you're growing up in the project, it's very hard to get outside of that because your genetics are in a certain way. So you're programmed a certain way, right? Yeah. And if you break out of that, then it turns into a different story, right? Which was the case mm -hmm. for you is you shifting, leaving Worcester 
Yeah. And going down to UMass Dartmouth, of course, <laughs> being as close to Newport, Rhode Island as possible, right? But that's a, that makes a huge difference because that pulls you out of whatever energetic realm that you were in there that you were struggling with and brought you into a whole different world, which I think is really, really, really important for anybody who's listening or has a loved one. It's like, you know, who are they hanging out with? Because it is true. I have a a very close, very close friends of mine, very close friends of mine who have passed from, from this. I continue mm. to see it with young people left and right. And also my brother-in-law passed away as well at 31 mm. last year from overdose. Sorry, so yeah. it's been, you know, it's been really, really hard. And I've seen loved ones struggle through it and, and all that. It's, it is like the hardest thing in the world to be right here as like, as somebody who loves and cares for this person and not be able to get them out. Right. Because they're so stuck into their internal world and how do you help them and lift them up? Well, the key is their environment. Cause what I've realized is who they surround themselves with the minute that it shifts, everything changes. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it, that's the way it is just in general, right? Like there's this idea of there's like the 30 second friends, the minute friends, like the five minute friends, I forget exactly who said it, but yeah, like it's just you know when you go hang out with the friends you grew up with, it's automatically like you go back to your you know you have the same stupid jokes that you had when you were first hanging out with them. And but then there's the people that you're like you see your future with, or you uh, you're looking to build upon, or yeah. you know, you're trying to build a network around, and you act a little bit different, right? And it's not to say that you're you're acting uh, you know out of the ordinary, you're not acting as yourself, but there's many different you know, I would say versions of yourself when it comes to it as we're all different people, right? We're all fathers, sons, business owners, grants that you name it. Like we, we have all these different identities that we kind of work with. So I think when you're trying to reach something much bigger than where you originally came from, that you have to change your identity to a certain extent, because you have to change how you act, behave, process things in order to go ahead and move to that next level. Even though, yeah, we all, the core person in general, it's the people that we surround ourselves with in the environment that eventually helps us reach where we're trying to go. Um, I was always told like, you gotta, it's, it's not necessarily the goal that that's the end result. It's who you have to become in order to reach that goal. And that in that transformation, I, I think is what we're all really aiming for at the end of the day. And, and certainly something that we focus on at, at wicked smart and smart real estate coach. And that is that, that transformational process to go from here's who I currently am and who's where I want to be. And once I'm able to, you know, reach who I want to be, then the things in which I was hoping to have or the feelings I'm supposed to have, you know, tend to come to fruition once you get there. Amen. Exactly. And that was your transition from bartending to real estate investing too. And, and, and with your father-in-law kind of getting into this creative finance space, which is like, I always like to say the hottest topic in real estate investing right now, especially in a high interest rate environment, right? Yep. This is like, the golden ticket, the Willy Wonka, I kept saying this during our masterclass, yeah. like the Willy Wonka of real estate investing, if you can learn how to grasp it and really learn how to execute it. Because imagine buying real estate with no banks or no credit and just like mm -hmm. structuring deals, which is exactly what you do. So, and then another observation that I love a lot though, is because you were a bartender in the past and then you got into real estate investing. And I'm always a big advocate for having restaurants be a prerequisite to getting yeah. into real estate because it's like if you can learn to manage fires in the restaurant or bar world, 
Yeah. You're going to be so fine when it comes to real estate. You'll be like, oh, it's just another day. It's just another day. Whereas some people would have an absolute freaking meltdown. <laughs> yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. My wife and I used to always joke around and said that how most countries make you uh, go into the military before you enter into the working world. Uh, we always said that you should have to go into the restaurant industry or the industry. Uh, it just you, it changes the entire dynamic of how you treat people because every single person that walks in, and I was in Newport, Rhode Island, so I had people that were had zero money. You know, there were some locals, you know, even some people that were semi-homeless that would come into my bar up until, you know, the person that popped off the half a billion dollar yacht. And the idea is you figure out a way to treat everybody exactly the same because uh, the end of the day, you're, you're trying to create an experience with with those people at your bar to make sure that everybody's having fun because that's that's really at the end of the day why everybody would come to Newport is, is for vacation. Right. Uh, so be able to do that. But yeah, and in addition to that, being able to put out fires or I would say the even harder part is being able to constantly establish communication and connection with every single person that walks into that place, which is exactly what real estate investing is. I always right. tell people like, Real estate investing is a relationship and a people business. And we just happen to sell real estate as an asset. Like that just happens to be the way we make money. But the only way, in my opinion, that you can actually get real estate deals done is if you can understand and solve people's problems. And right. then you get to do the, you know, the fun real estate part, which is, you know, structuring the deals and, and then putting it all together. But if you can't get somebody at the table, meaning they feel understood and they feel as though, you have a solution, then you're never going to be able to structure a deal. Uh, so that's always the main point. So yeah, I could see that being uh, being a prerequisite for real estate investing. Certainly, uh, certainly would be in my book. We have to launch a, a, a restaurant that's called prerequisite, and then just yeah. have it be that's <laughs> part of all like the real estate investing education. But you gotta you gotta go there. You gotta pass the test before you go anywhere else. But you're absolutely right. Like you know, you learn to put out fires. You learn to improvise. You learn how. You learn this certain social cues mm -hmm. and get an understanding of how people respond to certain things that you say and do. And just like rapport building, communication styles. I mean, like you name it. Like the restaurant world that covers all of that. So you transitioning into into real estate investing. You know, especially after this time where your father in law experienced 2008 because he was yeah. wicked successful before. For that and then things just went downhill because you know 23 projects he was doing yeah. condo conversions in boston i mean in uh providence rhode island in massachusetts 23 projects he had going when uh when 2008 hit uh it went down to a out. third the amount of real estate uh the value of the real estate went down to a third uh so pretty wild yeah i would have passed out i would have yeah, passed out. i'm sure <laughs> uh yeah and he's He's got, he has many stories. It's probably worth bringing him on sometime here soon. And uh, I'll maybe get him to come to one of your meetups. Uh, oh, he certainly has got yeah. some great stories. Oh, totally, totally. But transitioning into the space of creative finance, and for those who are listening that have absolutely no idea what yeah. this is, Zach, what's the, what's the high level? Because we talk about, you know, don't, yeah. you know, you don't have to use a bank, no credit. And then people think yeah. it's a legit scam and no, it is not. Yeah. It is a legitimate way we structure deals. Yeah. It's just, instead of a bank, it's a person. Yeah. At the, at the end of the day, that's one good way to put it. So with the foundation of, it's all about solving people's problems, right? It's understanding what their current motivation is. And that could be good or bad. Let me talk to extremes. One is you have somebody that's super financially set, debt-free house, no mortgage on their property. 
that's what we would consider a real estate problem. They are maybe inherited the property or it's a second home, but they, they don't, at this point in time, they don't have a use for the property. They're thinking it as more of a liability. Like I got to pay taxes. I got to keep up the property. I got to keep the you know, lawn mode, all that good stuff, right? They're maybe, maybe the property is all the way across the country and they just don't have to worry about it anymore. So that's a real estate problem. So we structure a lot of deals with people just like that because now they have the benefit of receiving cash flow on the property. They have the benefit of somebody like myself who has real estate experience to be taking care of the property versus dealing with tenants. Um, they also have, there's a lot of estate and tax planning purposes, especially if we're paying their trust for long-term wealth for them and their family. For example, we bought our commercial building. It was a mixed-use building right outside of Newport, Rhode Island. Now the seller was literally asking for, he had a sign in the, like on the road, where it is, and he was asking for owner financing. And the whole reason was because he didn't want to have to take care of the property anymore, but he would like to have received cash flow on the property. This is a debt-free house. He ended up being sick. Uh, he ended up passing away, but we still to this day are making payments to his trust. So his family's been benefiting from us making payments. And of course, we were able to structure a really good deal with it. And we'll, we'll say that for another time. Well, well, structured a really good deal with it. Uh, so we were able to benefit, and so isn't he. And then let's talk about the complete opposite side, which is you got people uh, still to this day affected from COVID or still to this day affected from rising interest rates or even uh, the transition of increased taxes. When people bought properties during COVID, they were buying the interest rate, for example. They, weren't, they didn't no. care about the price of the house. Yep. So what happens is they were putting the least amount down, getting the low interest rate. What then happened was the, the dramatic increase in the purchase or the value of the home Eventually, they had the tax reassessed, and now all of a sudden they have a huge, they have a much bigger monthly or a quarterly tax bill, and now they can't afford things like that, or they get caught in the position where they couldn't make the monthly payments. Uh, so now you have that extreme, and and we can certainly step in, catch people up, and then make monthly payments and have that debt relief. So it's, if I'm looking at two completely different extremes, we work with those that are really that are not in good financial standings that there'd be financial challenges, and then. People that are in really good financial standings, that'd be real estate challenges. And because we can solve those challenges, we're able to structure deals that are advantageous for us. Meaning everyone always thinks like, all right, no money down, it's a scam. Well, no, because I can solve that person's problem, their priority is not to have money in their pocket, right? Their priority may be to make sure that their payment gets paid every month. Or their priority may be that they don't want to have to take care of the property from a long distance. Or their priority may be that they're relocating and they don't want to leave a house vacant. Uh, right. So having money in their pockets, down payment is, is just you know part of the, the circumstances. And of course, that's a benefit to us. And so things like that, or 0% interest rates. Uh, we get them all the time with properties that are debt-free. And Again, it's their priority is not to have interest. Most people that you buy real estate from are not real estate investors. One of the number one things that we see for challenges for people that are brand new real estate investors are they assume that people, like they make assumptions for other people instead of asking questions. Right. Uh, and the assumptions lead to you know deals that they don't have getting under agreement because they're making assumptions and then they're assuming that people won't accept their offers instead of just solving a problem and making an offer. So those things happen all the time. So if I boil down what creative financing is, really it just means that you're, not buying properties with banks, involving banks. You're not typically putting down large down payments, especially in comparison to the traditional market. Doesn't mean you never do. 
but in comparison to the traditional market, and you're never personally guaranteeing debt. Uh, so you're not going to go out and get a bank loan or personally guarantee the debt. You're going to be buying everything in your LLCs, which is extremely risk averse for you as a real estate investor. Absolutely. And it's and it's such a beautiful way to capture properties in the <laughs> least with the least amount of risk, if you will. Yeah. And I mean, 0% interest. I mean, that part I love so much because I like looking at disclosures where you're like, oh, so by the end of this loan, you're actually going to be <laughs> paying double than what you paid for the property from day one. And that is like horrifying. You're yeah. like, okay, so you buy a $500,000 house and you look at then on the closing disclosure, which nobody does. So please, if you guys are buying something, look at the closing disclosure and see what you're going to get at the end of the day, yeah. what you're actually going to be paying out with that interest in amortization after 30 years. It's like over a million, right? So you're buying yeah. something for 500. Yeah. And so like when you guys secure deals, it's 0% financing. So you're actually paying 500,000 for them. And that, and that's, of course, that's part of it, right? Uh, right. So. And I've done both. So let me be let me be honest here and clear. As a real estate investor, my primary focus is to buy through creative financing. That does not mean that if I went to go get a personal residence that I wouldn't use traditional bank financing. I have. Right. I don't mind personally guaranteeing the debt of my personal house. I'm living there. But I also don't want to be over leveraged with lots and lots of bank loans out there. But trust me, there's a time and a place for it all. What I'm sharing with you is how you can actually get involved in real estate investing, buy your first deal, or start adding this onto your current portfolio. So that way you can eliminate the traditional barriers of real estate investing. Because I always break it down like this. So when the traditional way of buying real estate, and, and this is what most people know, it's because we've been taught this since we were kids, and it's been taught by this for hundreds of years now, right? Because the banks are the ones that provide all this information. Right. And that is you, you work really hard, right? You kind of follow the path that I was going on, which is like you get to college. And then when you get to college, instead of being a bartender, you go get a normal job, right? And you go get a normal job and you save up and you save 20% to 25%. And then you either go buy your own personal residence, or if you're trying to even real estate and you're even trying to build a portfolio, you're still trying to accumulate more uh, down payments to then go get bank financing. And it's just eventually you start to run out of down payments. So then your next route could be, I got to go raise private capital. And I just know that there's a lot, there's a lot of people out there that that is a very big gap. I mean, that's a big jump to go from, I'm going to invest my own money to I'm going to go use other people's money. And if you're not confident there, then what's your alternative? Your, your alternative is your portfolio slows to a crawl. You now only can buy so many properties every once in a while, or you're limited to a very selective uh, like you got to go buy in the Midwest and you have to buy, you know, about $150,000 properties because you only got $15,000 to put down right. and you want to do that consistently. So what I'm suggesting here is we just open up the floodgates and say, all right, well, now let's start thinking about alternative ways to buy real estate to continue to allow you to either, you know, go full-time in real estate investing, get enough income in order to make it there. Or two is to build a portfolio on the side so that way you can continue to create a different lifestyle then maybe you were around originally. Uh, so creative finance is just the alternative routes, a new perspective, a new way of thinking uh, to go ahead and solve people's problems by utilizing different techniques instead of getting caught in the traditional rat race. And like I said, that there's a, there's a time and a place for that, but that should be your absolute last resort 
uh, when it comes to buying real estate is to going ahead and going to get a traditional bank loan. Uh, there's many right. other ways that you can go about it before you have to go that route. And that's exactly what we focus on and have chose to out of necessity at first, right? 2008 crash happens. How do I get back involved in real estate investing? Well, I don't have credit. I don't have money. My father-in-law says, so I got to use creative financing. But now it's a choice. Now it's, all right, how do I best leverage the resources and the skill sets that I have in order to create the most amount of wealth, most amount of cash flow, and that's through creative financing. Yes, I love that, Zach. I love that. It's like, this is the option one before you get into option two, which is the banks. This is mm -hmm. the least riskiest way in getting involved there. And it also doesn't limit you at all. And you can structure deals accordingly. And I mean, it's, you guys are a proven example of the fact that yes, people are open to this. And I think you mentioned something around one third of uh, properties across the US are debt-free. It's a huge market. Yeah, and I believe it's even bigger you know, to our friends in the North in Canada. Yeah, about a, a third of the properties are debt-free in the United States. Uh, so that's a huge market. Um, and, and I know this has been a, a lot of talk recently, which is about baby boomer generation. And there's, you know, there's a big hype around buying businesses creatively. Mm. I see I have a good friend of mine and that's exactly what he does. So think about, so if those same baby boomers are selling off their businesses for little to no money down, then best believe that they're selling off their houses on creative financing as well. Uh, and that's where you know a lot of that debt-free houses are coming from. And that's because they were taught as baby boomers to live in the same house and pay down their mortgage after 30 years, and then they're debt-free. Mm. And then they were going to retire. So now they have a debt-free house and they have a business that they can't sell. And so now you as a creative financing real estate investor can go ahead and help them with that problem. And then I, I always like to tell people this too, like creative financing is not something new. This has been around for hundreds of years. And the ability to do creative financing also extends to many other places like businesses, like boats, like planes, like cars, you name it. Once you once the under the creative financing skill set and model are, are there mentally, now it's just you ask different questions and you structure things differently. Totally, totally. Well, it's just like, it's just this additional tool in the toolbox, right? Mm -hmm. You've got your you've got your drill, but yeah. now you've got screwdriver, pliers, all the all yeah. the things that'll That's get right. the job done. You know, like Tim so Allen. <laughs> Shout out yep. to Home Depot; they really should be sponsoring at this point. Yeah, That's right, sponsored by Home Depot. Uh, <laughs> love it. Yes, it's exactly it because what's always funny is so first thing that happens when we start teaching somebody creative financing and. And I'll tell you, this happens even more often with somebody that has real estate experience. In my opinion, that's sometimes the most challenging thing is to take somebody that was a real estate, yep. let's say a real estate agent or broker or a wholesaler or fix and flip. And then you're like, hey, there's a new way of doing it. And you're like, that doesn't even make sense. Versus like somebody like myself that brand new, that was brand new, had had zero, oh, say, I don't use the word baggage, but I had zero concept to build off of. I didn't have to fit this right. thing into the current model that my brain knew about real estate. Uh, so I could just say, all right, here's the script. Here's what I ask people. And I just assume that this was a normal thing and it's becoming normal now, but you know, nine years ago, it wasn't. So when I do that, especially someone that's you know brand new or somebody that has real estate experience, it's, it's always just trying to share with them a new way of looking at things and asking questions. Like if I get on the phone call, I'm like, uh, so can uh, when I'm talking with someone, I'm like, all right, so I can assume that if I can get you, uh, you know, your price that 
you don't need any money now. Or I can assume that we can just leave your mortgage in place and they'll start making payments. It's just like, or I can assume that you'll just take, you know, monthly payments that go towards the original balance of your loan right. with 0% interest. And it's just like, people are just like, how do you even ask that question? Because there's, that's how, those are the questions you ask when you're in creative financing. Right. We do our best not to make assumptions like this person's going to need interest or this person's going to need a down payment. I know I'm going off on a tangent, but like one of the number one things is when people start, especially those that are sending maybe referral deals to me or one of our new students is looking at, they always will be like, well, I offered them a down payment. I'm like, why? Why'd you do that? Now we have to overcome that. Uh, instead, just assume they don't need money down and let them come to you and ask you for money down. Right. Because now that's part of now that's part of the negotiation. Because now if they ask you, you can him and haw and get that down payment way down or make it contingent, uh, meaning that you don't have to make that payment until you have uh, either a buyer if you're exiting the property or or you have the renters in place where you already have cash flow or things like that. So it's just the assumptive uh, understands. You just know that everything is a clean slate and then you just ask questions to determine where that current seller is as far as you know what their understanding of what they need what they need, where they want to go, what, where they're, uh, where they want to go, by when, and what exactly they need in order to get there. Uh, and once you understand that, then you start structuring the deals. Now we start looking at how do we pull on different levers in order to really solve that problem. I absolutely love that, Zach. Yeah, I mean, there's so many creative ways to do it, man. Like so many different ways to structure the deals, and you can't assume, can't make assumptions on sellers because yeah. sometimes this could be their way out that they're super excited about because they have like less capital gains or whatever their goal is, right? Tax planning purposes, whatever. But for mm-hmm. anybody who's listening, who's a real estate investor looking to buy their first deal or whatever, and they say, Hey, Zach, like, how can I buy my first property using creative finance? Mm-hmm. What would be kind of the step-by-step? I would just bring you, I walk you through the exact same steps that we walk every single one of our students through. And that is first and foremost, we have to ensure that you have a source of people to communicate with. What I mean by that is like, so we tend to really communicate with expired listings. So people that need time in order to qualify for loans. So, because I love it for two reasons and we have a lot of success with two reasons. And one is because they've already tried to get it. And the second one is they're interested to find a solution. The second thing would be, so find, find a lead source or we'll show you exactly how to find motivated sellers. Two would be, how to be able to structure and communicate these deals with people. So really being able to max uh, master communication through scripts. Uh, and we provide all of our scripts in our course. And that's so, and as you, as you begin mastering the ability to communicate uh, with people, now that's the easy part, which is once you understand and ask the right questions, now it's just pulling the pieces together in order to finding the right structure for that person. It may seem uh, from afar, that uh, creative financing can can seem complicated. But the interesting thing is, there's actually a lot less moving pieces than even most wholesale deals uh, or even other real estate transactions because there's less people involved. There's less people involved, there's less paperwork. So, But most people think, okay, it's, it's complicated and that's because there's more options. Uh, so just understanding, number one, where the seller is at, and then you can provide the solution. So uh, it all just starts with with uh, really building that skill set of communication. Yeah, building that rapport with them and then seeing what their motivation is and then from there structure the deal accordingly 
and then get into, you know, instead of, you know, it'd still be like an offer, like just like mm-hmm. any other offer that you would offer, except for the payment terms are just a little bit different, right? A hundred percent. Yeah. It's all, it tends to be about five different, five different terms and say in, in the agreement, it's like down payment, if the, is down payment, yes or no. Uh, what's the purchase price? Is there an interest rate? Yes or no. Uh, what's the monthly payment, which will be a breakdown if there's taxes, insurance, or, uh, you know, it's uh, with a, a mortgage or not. And then the length of time. So is there a full amortization schedule or is there a balloon? And those are really five things that we're really working through consistently uh, when it comes to the actual structure of the deal. Right. And then the other different terms will come into play if, depending upon, you know, how fast the seller wants to move and if there's debt on the pro or if they're behind on payments or if there's any lien. So there's many different ways in order to kind of navigate that. I would say read our book. That'd be a good place to start. <laughs> Go to wickedsmartbooks.com forward slash underdog, wickedsmartbooks.com forward slash underdog. That will really you know allow you to kind of mind map this out, like starting from scratch from the stories in which, you know, we where we came from to how we got involved in creative financing to the different techniques of creative financing be a great place to at least get a baseline knowledge. And then, uh, and then if you decide to go further in that, then let's connect and show you how to get into your first deal. Love that, Zach. Love that. Thank you so much for that. And question for you. This is my favorite question. And I always say the best for last. But what would your older self tell your younger self based on what you know now? It can be business, personal, whatever. It's a great question. I'd probably tell myself a lot, but I also don't want to, disrupt the path I was on uh, by any means. But I just tell myself that I was worthy of making this journey. I think that's been a a, a tough internal thing that I've worked through for many years. And I don't know where the heck it comes from. I'll have to seek a psychiatrist here soon. Just knowing that you're worthy for the journey, uh, worthy for the goals in which I set out to do. Because there's not many people that I, I tell people my goals and they're like, oh, I can relate to that. Usually it's like, oh, this kid's off his rocker. So you're worthy about making this journey. And uh, once you get everything, then you're, you're certainly worthy of having it. Amen. It's, it's a process for, for everyone. That's why it's so important to, you know, like in family mastermind, which is where, where we met to be Mm. surrounded by that type of group. Because when you mentioned those goals, you know, there, everybody who's sitting at the table has either similar goals or higher. And it's yeah. like, and then that motivates you to be like, oh my gosh. But I think it has to do a little something with the chip on the shoulder growing up. Cause I, I would tell myself the same thing, yeah. you know, it's, it's one of those, uh, underdog, uh, traits, you know, that kind of follows us until we, until we heal it. Right. So it's just part of our journey. I hope all your listeners feel the same way, meaning for themselves. Um, if you listen to the underdog podcast, my guess is that you're either an underdog or you're trying to accomplish something very big most likely people told you you couldn't. So I encourage you to to think outside the box. Most importantly, to continue to, to work towards your goals. doesn't matter how hard it is. There's going to be certain times that are absolutely freaking terrible. And then there's going to be sometimes you have some really big highs. But at the end of the day, if you're accomplishing your goals and, and most importantly, you know, experiencing experiencing life the way you want to, it's certainly all worth it. Amen, Zach. I love that, man. I love that. And in your world, what's up in the next couple of months? Yeah, we have our uh, we have our event, QLS Live 2023. This will be the ninth year we've hosted it now. The timing couldn't be better uh, when it comes to creative financing. And there's there's no better time 
And I've spoken to some people that have been around in real estate investing, like my father-in-law for 30 plus years. And they're, they're like, you guys are way ahead of the curve right now. And trust me, that wasn't always the case. I used to have to convince people to, to even listen to me when it came to financing. And everybody wants to know what the heck, you know, how would actually use it. So there's no better time right now, rising interest rates, properties being on the market significantly longer to um, people still being affected from the economy to the transition in politics, you name it. When there's uncertainty, uh, economically, Politically, creative financing is a major way to be able to leverage yourself. And I'm telling you, people that are showing up to this event, people that are sticking to creative financing and working the business, uh, they're the ones that are going to see decades, two decades worth of wealth over the next three to five years. You can find all the information at qlslive.com. That's qlslive.com. I absolutely love that, Zach. Man, it's an exciting time for you guys in the market. I mean, everyone's everyone's wanting to learn creative finance at this point. And millionaires will be created throughout this time period because fast forward five years from now, what that cash flow is going to bring, man, it's insane. And and Zach and his team are absolutely unreal. I mean, you guys literally, I mean, you show, you even showed me through the masterclass on that we did on YouTube, like three different ways you get paid on one deal. Like, excuse me, that is the coolest thing ever on planet earth. So it's incredible the work that you guys are doing and how you're training others to to do the same thing and how you're actively in the market doing deals yourself, which is remarkable. It's only going to grow from here on out. Could agree more. I'm I'm uh, I'm thankful and grateful for you to have me on uh, your podcast here on the Underdog, and certainly hope that we were able to impact your audience here today. Absolutely, Zach. And drop those links one more time for us because everyone's going to want to know where to find you and your awesomeness after they listen to this podcast. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, first thing is you should go to uh, Pam YouTube and walk through the master's class videos that we uh, produced and we'll be continuing to drop here. Uh, but you can go grab our first Amazon bestselling book at wickedsmartbooks.com forward slash underdog. Uh, we'll also make sure if you grab that book, we'll actually send you a ticket. Love it, Zach. Thank you so much for being here today, sharing your story, your masterful creative finance techniques and all the things, my friend. So grateful to have you in my circle and just excited to see for what you do next. Appreciate you having me on. Thank you. So that's it for today's episode of Underdog. Catch us next week, always dropping on Thursdays. And remember, if you're interested in real estate, or want to learn how to create more money and magic in your life, check out meetwithpamela.com and let's chat. Sending you so, so much love. All we know is over time, working like some underdogs. Underdogs.